All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business. And with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turned it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1,812 points, or 5.5%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 259 points, or 6.2%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 1,050 points, or 8.2%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 4.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 6.4%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 11.2%. So Friday closed out one of the strongest weeks the major indexes have had since November of 2020. So nice uh, little bit of a relief rally this past week. I would also say it's the first four-day-in-a-row rally we've had all year. I don't think we've had four days in a row. Most of them have been two days in a row. Uh, I want to say we were up 1,700 points. It was about two or three weeks ago on on two consecutive days, on a Thursday and a Friday. Uh, but, again, we didn't have four uh, four straight-up days. Yes, we actually, we actually did at the very end of January. So 30th, 31st, really? first, first and second. So we have had, yeah. um, four day rallies in a row, but nothing this strong. And as of Friday's close, the S&P 500 crossed over its 50 day moving average for the first time going back all the way to the beginning of the year. So still not back to its 200 day moving average. Not to get too deep in the technical weeds, but we finally did close above. The S&P 500 did close above its 50-day moving average on Friday. Now, yes, Kyle. I was going to say also in the NASDAQ closed right at its 50-day line on Friday. So I guess as should we should we be tempering our enthusiasm for this four-day rally and not I think we have to be careful, given the given the backdrop. I mean, 
think about, you know, for the moment, what has really changed week over week to justify, if that's the right word, a 6.2% movement in one week for the S&P? Yes, Joe. I, I think everything has been so cloudy, as Kyle succinctly puts it. It's like the Corpus Christi Bay. Sometimes it's very murky. At least the water's turning a little bit, a little bit clear because of the Fed actually having some kind of game plan and, and, and telling people what they're going to do with interest rates. Yeah, but they're telling us what they're going to do. I mean, they're telling us what they're doing based on the information right now. Uh, be, because have- because it wasn't a year ago that they were saying that we were <clears throat> that the Fed didn't have plans to raise interest rates until 2023. But plans change, and obviously I mean, that, and obviously the plan. And I I know what you're saying, change. Joe. They came out and they said, "Was it five? They're planning on five interest Roughly, rate increases." That, that that's what's on their dot year. plot, but. But again, it's all going to be data dependent. And as I've been saying so far this whole year on the program is that if, as, as the inflation data starts to come in and if we start to see some, some moderation in the inflation data outside of what the Fed is doing with monetary policy, then that's going to give them some cover to continue to raise interest rates. But we might not see a, a half a 1% move. We, we might see a, a, a gap in between meetings as far as them raising rates because the last thing the Federal Reserve wants to do is push the economy into a recession. Now, and, and Jeff, you, you succinctly put it when we were talking earlier on Friday that we're not going to actually know if we're in a recession until we're typically already out of one because all the data is backwards looking as far as GDP growth for, per quarter. And so that's typically what happens in recessions is you find out you were in a recession after the fact. But I know as COVID is now in the rear view, we don't want to be pushing, the Fed doesn't want to be pushing the economy into a recession. And I know on last weekend's show, it was a little more doomier and gloomier. Um, you were in your full bear costume. You had the full hat on. You had your claws on for most of the me? show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, me and last week, you, you, you break, you, I, I love you, brother, but you definitely bring in the dark clouds. I know okay. you and I are yin and yang, which, which is good when it comes to portfolio management. But like I said on last weekend's show, for us to go into a recession with this level of employment, the fact that anyone that wants a job can have a job. And even if every open available job was filled, we still need five million more employees. We have seen wages, of course, come up, which is getting eaten up by the inflation, I know. So it could be a net zero effect as far as your take-home pay or maybe even a net negative based on how much you're driving and how much you have to fill up your car. But I would love to know, and I know we talked about this on, on Friday, Jeff, if we could find a statistic of the last recessions our economy have gone into and what the employment picture looked like. I would be really curious to see that, and maybe that's something we can work on this next week. So for next weekend's Money Wise program, we can talk about that because I just don't see the economy going into a recession with this level of employment, this level of two, over $2 trillion of excess savings, and some of the lowest debt servicing costs of the consumer this century. That's going up. Yeah, it is, it is going up. That's true. But even if the Fed raises rates five times this year and takes the Fed funds rate to one and a quarter percent, that's not the end of capitalism as we know it. 
You know, that doesn't mean that the stock market can't go up because we're still in, and, and, and Jeremy Siegel, founder of Wisdom Tree, very, you know, very well known, uh, market, you know, technician and portfolio manager. He said it best, and we've said it on this program. He used the Tina analogy this past week in interviews. There is no alternative, meaning fixed income is not a competitor to the stock market even now. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap uh, Wall Street from this past week. Again, for those of y'all just tuning in, this past week was the biggest uh, gains for the broader market indexes, biggest gains since November of 2020. So quite a nice uh, little bit of a relief rally this past week on Wall Street. So I'd made some comments about the economy and whether or not we were going to be rolling into recession based on some of the data points from a consumer standpoint and an employment standpoint. I know Jeff you wanted to make your counterpoint, so bring it. Well, well, first of all, I'm not bearish. I'm like Marty Zweig. I'm cautious on the markets. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself bearish. Uh, what's happened in the, this last week is we've 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 had a little recovery off this bottom. Whether it's a quote, they like to use this on CNBC, tradable bottom. We like to prefer to refer refer to it as an investable bottom. I don't know that the bottom that we saw in the week just, I guess it would have been the week before last, is the low of the year. Um, and it, to Joe's point about the water seemed to be clearing, uh, you know, to me, yeah, we got the Fed meeting out of the way, and we don't necessarily have to talk about them now for a few weeks uh, because there's not another Fed meeting, I think, is it? I think it's not first week of first week of May. <clears throat> so we don't have to worry about them in April. We're still going to have the usual Fed governors like Bullard on Friday coming out, pushing the 50 basis point raise. There was another governor that said the same thing. And, and, and I look, reading the minutes or the, the notes from the meeting just passed uh, on Wednesday, Bullard was voting for the 50 basis point raise, and he was the only one. All the other one, all the other governors voted for the quarter percent rate increase. So that Bullard will continue to be out there pushing the 50 basis point raise on the next meeting. And there, and then this other governor talking, oh, we may have to do more, you know, more than one 50 basis point raise, uh, because inflation may be worse than we expect. And interestingly enough, the markets didn't react to that. You know, we, we've been talking about that when, when Bullard talks, typically the markets down, the stock market. It wasn't on Friday, which is interesting, but it was also a triple witching 
options, options expiration options expiration day, which has its own level of volatility. I think we were actually down on Friday a few hundred points at one point only to close up a, a few hundred points on the Dow. So to me, yeah, we've got the Fed meeting out of the way, and yeah, maybe we've got a little bit more clarity on what they might do with interest rate, the, the number of interest rate increases for the rest of the year. But in terms of everything else, the war in Ukraine continues. Uh, oil prices trended down a little bit this week. Uh, they're still, I think they were still above 100 when we went out on Friday. Gasoline prices here locally have come down a little bit, but they're still, you know, in most places for regular gas, they're over $4 a gallon. And we haven't seen that in a long time. And that has implications for inflation, the inflation numbers for March, which won't come out until April. And no, I'm not going to let you talk yet, Kyle. So that's just, that's just part of this, the part of the, the, the water still not being clear. The other part, which is still hasn't happened yet is growth earnings and the reports from the companies on both growth and earnings. Now, starting next week and into the last weeks of the quarter, traditionally companies that are expecting to deliver earnings that are below expectations will come out during quote unquote pre-announcement season. Now we don't, no one knows who those companies will be. No one knows what those pre-announcements might say, but we're going to start to hear a few of them here in the next few weeks. We'll hear more of them once we get into the new quarter. And we're less than a month away from getting the first earnings reports from uh, for the first quarter of 2022. It's a big question mark. You know, what are these companies going to say? Are the, how many of these companies are being being affected by these higher prices? How many of these companies are being affected to have to pay more to get employers? As Kyle pointed out. Previously, these, the unemployment, the, the number of jobs available versus the pool of available workers is out of balance. And that typically means the companies are going to have to pay more to get people to come work for them and to retain the employees they have. They have to pay them more. And that has an effect on earnings. The outlook, you know, that's another important part. What's the outlook going to be for the rest of the year? Well, we're not going to know that information for another few weeks. But for those companies that say got taken out to the woodshed here in the first quarter of 2022, if they want to throw all the things that are wrong in their company, all of the, you know, get, get the bad news out, this would be the quarter to get it done when their stock prices are already down. Is that going to drive their stock prices down even more? Or has all this been priced in? Has everything that I just said, the growth, variable, the earnings variable, the inflation variable, the five or six interest rate increases by the Federal Reserve's current plan, the war in Ukraine with Russia, has all of that been priced in? And I just don't think that it's all been priced in because we've, we've got to get, uh, we've got to hear from these companies. We've got to hear about their earnings. We've got to hear about their outlook. So I would, I'm hesitant to get too giddy about what's happened in the last four days and that all of a sudden the, the, the waves are smooth and you can see the fish at the, you know, 10 feet down and you're throwing in your line trying to fill your boat with them. I don't see that at this point. 
Well, yes, well, I was just going to say, as far as this relief rally, I think some of this relief is coming from the over knee jerk reaction during this corrective move that began in the first week of the of the new year, based on the hand wringing of is the Fed raising fifty basis points or not? And now that we know that they're not, you know, Bullard notwithstanding, Fed Governor Bullard notwithstanding, that that. They kind of made it very clear that it's obviously data dependent. We know it's a 25 or a quarter of 1% move that's occurred. But when let's just look at a company like Adobe. Adobe, it's a tech company. They're in software. They're going to be announcing their earnings on March the 22nd, which is coming next week. And when you look at a stock like Adobe, who has rock-solid fundamentals, that is down 35% from its 52-week high. And when you look at the forward guidance on their 2022 and 2023 earnings that have all come down, their earnings estimates for this year have already been down, have already been down 10%. Next year, they've decreased them by 18%. So if Adobe comes out, and even if they come out and say, you know what, we're just going to temper our forward guidance expectations with it already being down 35% off its 52-week high, and we already see that its its EPS growth has been knocked down 10% for this year and 18% projected for next year, and its price earnings multiple from a five-year average standpoint is at its low end, is it going to get taken out to the woodshed again? I have a feeling that even yes it's it's going to be a mixed bag but i know some of these companies that have really been hit hit hard as long as their forward guidance is in line with guidance or maybe slightly below i just don't see some of these companies that have been taken out to the woodshed 20 30 40% this past quarter are going to be hit another 20% i would i would suspect to see more of a relief of some buying coming in once they finally say what they need to say. That's just one stock, for example, is I think some expectations have been tempered in the marketplace after this corrective move we've seen so far in the first quarter. Well, I don't we see it, more of a relief yeah. rally on these individual names. I just feel that personally that I think we're going to see some more relief rallies in these names as the earnings come out. But it's not that name that's driving the indexes. It's the Microsofts, Apple, Google, Meta. What's the one I'm missing? Netflix. I mean, (laughs) Tesla. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you look at Google, you know, Google is, again, on the lower side of its five-year PE range. Now, it's only down 10% from its 52-week high. Yeah, but what I'm saying is Apple... Microsoft and Google all had good earnings numbers in the first quarter. It was only Meta that did not have good earnings numbers, and it was shellacked. Yeah, on those it was. numbers. So it was. <laughs> if if, though, if any of those three here in the first here with their earnings results, if if any of those are light or they have issues with their outlook, and one of those gets hit, um, that had that didn't get hit in the first quarter. The story is, you know, we may trend back down in the indexes near these lows. If one of those three gets hit, if two of those three get hit, then we're going to trend down to those lows. But we're not going to know that until we get into the earnings, which is still a month away. And we'll know as the earnings come out how much of their forward guidance or negative forward guidance is priced in when the results come out, and we'll see how the stocks trade. 
Well, let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So through the bottom of the hour break on the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to shift gears. I know first half hour we kind of got in the weeds reviewing Wall Street from this past week, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about asset allocation. I had some conversations with some clients this past week, and one client in particular of ours that's out of state that's in our most aggressive allocation, and started thinking to myself, you know, when the markets are going up, like the last three years we've had in the market, now obviously uh, in the end of the first, beginning of the fourth quarter, or second quarter, first and second quarter of 2020, we were dealing with a COVID pullback, and obviously that recovered very quickly. And so we had three solid years of double-digit returns in the marketplace, and it gave a lot of of investors some complacency and just thinking that, hey, the market should be going up double digits each and every year. And we've talked about this on the Money Wise program in past shows about complacency in your portfolio, not knowing what you own, and having an improper asset allocation model based on your risk capacity. And risk capacity is based on your age. Now, we've worked with clients, prospective clients who have a smaller risk capacity, but a huge risk tolerance. But when you have quarters like we've had so far in the first quarter of 2022, where we have these prolonged corrective moves in the market and then compounded with geopolitical risk, which obviously is, is once in a blue moon type situation, this is where investors can really start to feel some of the unrealized loss pain in their portfolio due to an improper asset allocation model and the complacency that they had in their portfolio and the expectation that the stock market is just supposed to be doing double-digit returns each and every year, which is not the case. And so what's unusual about this year, and this was part of the conversation I had with this client, is that we have a situation where not only do we have a negative stock market, but we also have a negative bond market. Because the stock and bond market, they're competitors. They're always competing for investors' dollars. And typically in a balanced portfolio, if the stock market is going down due to corrective forces, like we've seen so far in the first quarter, typically the fixed income side of of a balanced portfolio would be performing better or even possibly providing a positive rate of return as money is shifting out of stocks going into bonds. 
and and bringing yields down and prices up, and then you get some positive return in the portfolio from that side, the fixed income side of your portfolio. But this year, we have a situation where the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate Investment Grade Aggregate Bond Index through Thursday is negative 7.82%. And then you look at the S&P 500's total return through Thursday's close, down 7.14%. So bonds are actually performing worse than that of the stock market through Thursday of this past week's close. And you typically don't see that. You typically don't see that. And so you might be asking yourself, well, Kyle, well, then why do I want a balanced portfolio? If we've got bonds negative and we have stocks negative, and, and that's not really the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is about the complacency in a portfolio and understanding that the stock market doesn't give you double-digit positive returns each and every year and that when the sun is shining on the stock market, don't get too over-allocated into the stock market. Don't become too committed because we never know when and where a geopolitical risk could occur when the market is going to go through a correct uh, a corrected period or a protracted corrected period. And like Jeff said earlier in this program, we might not be at the bottom yet. We don't know. No one has that crystal ball. And so it's always wise to have a balanced portfolio. But I think the biggest key is, and as active asset managers as we are at Davidson Capital Management, Actively managed allocations are the absolute key. You know, as we've always said on this program, you have to have the asset allocation, you have to have the security selection, but most and foremost and most important is you have to have the active management. Joe? So, so basically, Kyle, in, in summary, what Kyle's saying is stocks can go down at the same times that you can lose money in bonds. So a traditional 60-40 allocation or a target date fund, let's say a 2025 and 2030, there's really no place to hide if you can't specifically control the allocations within that portfolio. In this case, we have intermediate bonds that are losing value. And, the, and of course, we have had the stock market that's gone down in value. And I believe, if I'm not incorrect, in 2008, wasn't it a very similar situation during the financial crisis? We're losing money in bonds and we're losing money in stocks. So it can happen. So when you open up your statement, don't go into sticker shock because you have a traditional type portfolio. And well, how come I, you know, and if you deep, if you dive down deeper, why are my stocks losing money and why are my bonds losing money? I thought bonds are supposed to offset losses in stocks and vice versa. It doesn't always work that way. Jeff. So, you know, going into 2022, we were, we were expecting interest rates to continue to rise just as they, they had risen during 2021. And we made a lot of bold changes, especially in the uh, individually managed accounts, selling a substantial number of our longer maturity bonds and shifting that money into instruments that profit when interest rates go higher and instruments that pay adjustable rates of interest as interest rates go higher. Uh, the other thing that we did, and we, we haven't owned a bond mutual fund, uh, in more than a year. I think we're probably, probably a year and a half plus. And the, that, the last one that we had was a, was a, I think a very short 
term maturity, maturity, maturity bond, uh, mutual fund. Actually, it's an ETF. ETF. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, an exchange traded fund. So Kyle had this kind of rhetorical question and why why client would say, well, why do I want to have any bonds in my portfolio at all? Well, I would say you definitely don't want any bond mutual funds. So we've been warning people to get out of bond mutual funds for a long time. So please listen to us, you know, please get out of your bond mutual funds. Uh, We've been saying this for more than a year and the chickens are roosting right now. And, and, and Kyle just pointed out the, the aggregate investment grade U S corporate bond index is down almost 8%. That includes every maturity, every investment grade bond, even the shortest maturities are down a couple of percent or more. Actually, if interest rates ETF, keep, yes, the ETF ahead. we owned last year, and Kyle and I looked at this early this week, was down over three percent for the year. Right. So, your point. So, so the the point is to answer the client that the customer says, "Why should I own any bonds at all in my portfolio at all?" Well, every new client with new money that's coming in this year, I we haven't bought a single new bond, individual bond yet. In 2022, we've done nothing but sell individual bonds. Uh, new money that's coming in is going into our short position on long maturity bonds and going into our adjustable rate instrument in cash. And cash, ladies and gentlemen, is finally going to start paying a little bit more thanks to our friends at the Federal Reserve. But don't go out and buy that new Maserati today. Because it's not going to be a big difference, and I'll, I haven't seen it hit any of our any of our money market funds yet, but it's going to. Interest rates on cash are going to start increasing, but it's going to take it's going to take time. Well, I think I think in this fixed income environment, there might be a situation. You know, if you're not shorting treasuries like we like we start like we started doing at the very beginning of the year where we have positive returns in that and that move that we made in fixed income or the floating rate exchange traded fund that we also own that we also bought at the very beginning of the year when we did our mass rebalance for all of our client accounts but sometimes just owning cash is the best fixed income instrument and i think that might be part of the point that jeff is trying to make is that Cash is not trash in this interest rate environment. And I think to Joe's point about the target date funds, which we talked about on our show way back after the financial crisis, where a lot of 401k participants were going into these target date funds where they thought that they were protected, had fixed income exposure, and lo and behold, after the financial crisis ended, they were down 20, 25, 30% in a target date fund because there wasn't enough fixed income in that target date fund, and they were over-allocated into stocks. And like in a target date fund, you can't control the mix of the securities in that target date fund. You just have to pick a different year. But even some of the farthest out target date funds after the financial crisis, they got taken out to the woodshed too. So I know Jeff and I talked about that back in 2008, 2009 on the Money Wise program, how some of these investors that were buying these target date funds were really bamboozled because they weren't being properly managed as far as their allocation mix inside of those particular mutual funds. So let's take our next commercial break. 
You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in, we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program. Last segment, we were talking about target date funds and just not getting complacent as an investor in your portfolio, not thinking that the stock market goes up double digits each and every year because we have spent this entire quarter of first quarter of 2022 in this protracted corrective move in the market. But it's very unusual start to the year because we have not only the stock market negative, but also the bond market is negative year to date. And so we were talking about target date funds where you can't control the mix of the investments within these target date funds. And these target date funds are typically available to people that are participating in 401ks. And so we have never been huge fans at Davidson Capital Management or here on the Money Wise program with target date funds because the lack of the ability to actively manage the allocation mix and selecting and deselecting securities in the overall portfolio if you're an investor, obviously our clients have our active management um, that they get to take advantage of. That's why we're hired. So we kind of, in essence, create our own target date uh, portfolios for our clients based on risk tolerance and risk capacity. Jeff was, or Joe, I know one of you two during commercial break was talking about wanting to make a particular point of what we were talking about in the last segment. So I don't know who wants to go first. Uh, well, Joe wanted to say something about man. I think management. Well, we were just talking about target, inside tar- target date. Yes, yeah, so we were just talking about target date funds in general. And one of the things that and I remember Kyle brought this up. You need to, if you do have a target date fund and you're in a 401k plan, you could do a little bit of research, pull it up, uh, pull it up, actually see what the manager tenure is. And I'm looking at one. You know, I looked at one Friday, and you know, it's a, a 2040 fund from a pretty one of the biggest mutual fund managers out there. And the longest tenure that these managers have is 10.8 years. And, you know, from an experience standpoint, and I can't speak for myself because I haven't been on the portfolio that long, but Kyle and Jeff both have been on the portfolio here, I know for a fact, for over 10 years. Am I right or wrong in bringing yes. that up? So <laughs> just because it's substantially tenure, longer. And it's a well-known investment company doesn't mean they have more experience managing your money. So think about that for a second. So anyway, that's well, all I, I, I think. I think what you're talking about is, is sometimes investors think that a household name brand, well-known company is, is better at managing money. No, they're just better at marketing. They have they got, bigger they got, marketing they got, the JV, they got the JV managing it. That's essentially what they got. So like anything, there can be wide variations between, in terms of performance between different big conglomerate management companies. And I, I've, I track the flagship balance funds from 
several of the large discount brokers, Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity. Uh, the Vanguard and Fidelity balanced funds are pretty neck and neck when it comes to performance. The Schwab balanced fund in, in this particular, just on this date, is doing substantially worse and has really all year long. I guess their mix on the stock side has been hurting them. I will say this about target date funds uh, this year. Uh, if I'm looking at the Lipper indexes of various target date funds versus the, the, the big Vanguard, Fidelity, you know, Schwab balanced mutual fund offerings, uh, the target date indexes are actually doing better than these, these managed mutual funds. Now, and that's just today, you know, that, that's not always the case. And I'm not saying everyone should go out and dump all their mutual funds that their balanced mutual funds and buy target date funds. And not every target date fund is created equal. And the difference between these three, you know, these particular, these three balanced funds is approaching 2% on, uh, in terms of performance comparison. That's a wide margin in a balanced, uh, for performance in a balanced mutual fund. So all we're trying to say is, you know, dig, dig deeper, as Kyle says. Uh, if you don't like the exposure uh, into bonds and your particular target date fund, and let's say it's down more than six and a half percent year to date, consider making a change. Uh, if it's, if it's doing better than down six and a half percent year to date, this is actually through Thursday, not including Friday. Uh, then I, then, then you might be okay. Target date funds can be a better alternative than doing, than not, than doing nothing, just sitting in cash in your 401k. Um, if, if you just absolutely have no idea how to choose any of your investments, don't have any wherewithal, a target date fund can be an alternative. And in most cases, correct me if I'm wrong with the expert, Joe, it, now the target dates are the default uh, investment option in most 401ks that have the default investment option. That, that's and correct. Think, and by law, don't they have to have a default uh, yes. investment option now? Yeah, usually that's going to be it. And I would say if you do have a target date fund, most 401ks have software to make sure you can even input other accounts that you have and, and other information, but make sure that target date fund, just because they throw you in that and it's a default, make sure that it's actually aligned with what you've done for retirement, what your contributions are, because just because you're defaulted in one doesn't necessarily mean it is the right target date for you based off how much money you put away for retirement and what your time frame is and maybe even what your risk tolerance is. So well, I, capacity, I would say- as Kyle would say. And I would say something else for any, you know, for any listener that is past the age of 59 and a half participating in a 401k who's saved up a substantial nest egg and are getting nervous the fact that you don't feel comfortable overseeing it or managing it yourself. You have these target date funds and maybe you're putting all of your eggs in these target date baskets and you're just not liking the lack of control within that. A lot of 401k participants don't realize that at 59 and a half, majority of 401k plans out there will allow you to do what's called an in-service 401k rollover where you can continue to participate in the 401k, but you can roll out your existing 401k balance to a self-directed IRA to where you can actually hire a professional management team to be actively managing those assets for you and doing all the heavy lifting 
while you don't have to worry about who's overseeing your nest egg because you have a team of professional asset managers that do that. And I always like to bring that up because a lot of 401k participants do not realize that at 59 and a half years old, they can take and do that in-service distribution. It's not a taxable event to roll it into a self-directed IRA and get full-time professional management. But if you find yourself in that situation, you can always give us a call at 800 275 2162 to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your money wise guys. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back from the news, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's money wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management. Your money wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website again at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website again at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And there was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended, and just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009, or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the, March 2009 was the proverbial generational low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although... I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too in long May. ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas, Dallas Morning, Morning News. Dallas Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. And I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that 
you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article. If I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would, I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. Pensions were were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%, and the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, The current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in in the long term, in the long term past, might now be expected to return 6%, meaning that a 30-year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market. But here's, you know, here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say. Well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me Go ahead. let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980 are probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I, I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then inflate, the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20% in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time, and I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. 
retirement is retirement. You are only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I had retired. Just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that uh, when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, when if I stayed until I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. What I'm saying. Exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, wow." I mean, I'd be on Easy Street. Wow, exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors 30 years ago. Sure, 10-year treasuries were paying 12, 13, you know, percent, 14 percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and, again, talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the eighteen percent inflation? car loan? Yeah, exactly. I had on an Eighty-two citation. Exactly. Well, you know, double-digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know what? What was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the. It's a true statement today, as it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive, net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, 80s, That's right. the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was, one, benefit, yeah. you got nothing, nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401K was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401K that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401K with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds – their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, people my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get, though, Dad, now with TRS? They can do external saving through payroll deductions into 403Bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement... Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional pension. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the 70s, 60s, and 80s, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for, through the 401K plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. It. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a just survival it, rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be... Extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB and J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, PB and J. Sorry, you had me going there. How'd you caught on the PB and J? Trying to figure out what. what yeah, means. you're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is, and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to assu- survive. I, I can assure you there of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able, able to do that. Be able to do that. And not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not always. You can't do that. Not even a hundred percent stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying, yeah, to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be hundred percent stock. And, and again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous. If now you've taken yourself out of the workforce, and so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces the survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he's, he, he's, not real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking, you know, in today's time. It's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this, low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because... Because dividend yields and interest rates, yeah, the dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed crushed that point in this article because you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career there, or you lose your retirements, where today... You can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401k. So the 401k has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million-dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security. And for that, you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401k, it's it's great. And it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again that's Scott, not the golden age that was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market that's why we always preach on this radio show and again one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement you have to stay mobile nimble flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on wall street the one guarantee it's change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your port. let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis, you have a family issue, you need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important. And over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year treasury rate, yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not. But 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over has the investments. control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Basin Company. If from you the, could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company of all the companies I work for that I get anything. Because all those years, all you those worked, years I worked, we're lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know, again, you know, there was a point I was going to make, and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment well, now. You're approaching forty. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not. It's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's, not, it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you're, you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill. But you know, again, when it when it comes down. To your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we, we dealt with I know what I was six or say. seven years. Now, this year, all of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You thought of it. Uh, it? It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the '80s: access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to go do, out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that have cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a well, treasure can- trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you could 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the management. Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating, kind of commissions we were generating. Yeah. So did we have inside information? No. But we had information first. We were one of the original calls. Mm-hmm. They called you guys first we with got information. The calls because we generated commissions for them. Yeah. Well, and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so, and yeah. trust assets. So, a- again, with today's technology, there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to, to working 9 to 5. And and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, and again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term. Because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s, average is around 4%. Is around 4%, and right now we're right at two, one, between 1.8 and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of because, your age. Because, uh, of, because your of my age. age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. That, you know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese. Rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the eighties, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So, these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments you know, are packaged. And, and the only thing that's the same <clears throat> today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people <clears throat> they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of, of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product, not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio, as we have always preached going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. You, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and and. And again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.